Bring me shelter, I will not harm you. Bring me shelter, please. Bring me shelter, I will not harm you. I would shelter you. People would do anything for their families. It could happen to anyone anytime. Somebody in France, somebody in England basically sat down with a ruler and just drew lines on maps. There are many different ethnic and religious groups that have been divided across borders and this has caused a significant amount of conflict. There are a lot of people who need safety. It is really cruel for a country like Australia to have policies that are focused only on pushing people away. What we're seeing is a number of people that remain in a state of limbo. And when non-sustainable land use combines with climate change, the crisis of refugees... I wasn't able to go and play with children. I had to go and really be an adult from a very young age. I think that's something that a lot of migrant children can relate to. Really, it was a dream for me to reunite with my family. I was just praying and hoping that that day will come one day. I think it's very important for people to understand that people have their own dreams as well and they're wanting to change the world with everybody else. Refugee Radio, 855 AM, 3CR. Hi, this is Rafiv Ziada, and you're listening to 3CR, pro-Palestinian, happily proud radio. Welcome to Refugee Radio this week on 3CR, 855 AM, or on 3cr.org.au. We heard from Asil Tayar from the Bookja Project last week, which is a project that gives refugees a voice. And we talked about the Beirut Bookja of Hope project. This week, we're going to be talking to one of the artists, Judith Coe, who is part of the Beirut Bookja of Hope project. She'll talk about being a graduate of law and arts and having a master's of education in inclusive learning. She also, spe- she also specialised in research teaching trauma, especially teaching genocide and colonisation. She's inspired by her work by her grandmother, who worked as an educator after her experiences in the Nazi ghettos and camps. So we'll be hearing more from Jude now. So tell us about yourself. My name is Judith Cohn. I grew up in Melbourne and I left Melbourne um, in 2005 to study law at the ANU, to study arts and law. And then I didn't end up working in the law. I've worked in mostly in public health. Came back to Melbourne a few years ago to follow my passions in education theory, in particularly in teaching inclusive education, which is really a continuation of the work that my grandmother did throughout her life, coming from post-war Europe, teaching um, children that survived camps and ghetto, and the stories that she would tell me about um, what those lessons were like, and then later on, her work at the Jewish Holocaust Museum in Melbourne, and being part of that growing up and watching the impact that that had particularly on herself, and the healing and freedom that she gained from telling her story in an inclusive safe environment has really prompted me to look into what inclusive education means more broadly. Yeah, and also um, 
besides that, I'm playing music, yeah. um, singing and, and a little bit of guitar and piano. Beautiful. And what's your link to Bookja and the Beirut's Bookja of Hope project? So I saw um, a seal post on a Melbourne musician's page, a call out for musicians based in Melbourne to be part of sending a message of hope to Beirut and to Lebanon. And she just prompted musicians to get in touch if they were interested. And straight away, I, I was. I'm always looking for ways that I can use my voice, either through singing or, you know, in any way to, you know, be part of support and hope and solidarity. And so I've gotten in touch with the seal and she, you know, has said, of course, you know, everyone's welcome to be part of this project. And she outlined what her vision was. And um, once, you know, more people have become on board, she's, yeah, put together this collective of a video and a um, music and spoken word project that not only is um, to send this message of support, you know, around the world, but also to raise funds, really important funds for the Arab Funds for Arts and Culture, whose building was damaged in the explosion. And um, Asil's raised through the website. If you guys um, do go on to asiltaya.com, she talks about the motivation for the project and how important music and connection is when times are hard. Um, and so to be able to support people, not just by through the message, but also by raising these funds, to um, support music that's grown in Beirut as well, I thought was so important. And so I'm so honoured to be able to be a part of it. Beautiful. And where can people find more information about you and your music? So I've got little bits and pieces of my music online. Mm -hmm. There's some on SoundCloud. You can search for Arya, A-R-Y-E-H, mm -hmm. and then Naam. Um, to find me on SoundCloud. Yeah. But in the last few years, and because music was something that I've done for about 10 years, but it really only came into my life after I had a, a bike accident that left me housebound for quite some months. Music is something I actually have started to move away from a little bit in more recent years. Okay. And I've started to, instead of writing songs, I've been spending more time writing essays. So um, you can find out a little bit more about myself and also um, other other authors and contributors to a website, um, www.theblackwaddle.com. Some essays on there do, um, yeah, delve into some of the ideas that I've got around connecting through inclusion and teaching trauma. Well, thank you for chatting to us about the project and your links to it. And good um, luck in the future. Well, thank you so much for having me um, on your program. And yeah. Sometimes I feel like I'm never gonna change Cause I'm bound by my history And I'm bound by my name Ain't that a shame Wish I could save my freedom Up like pennies Cause today I have so much Oh, I may not have any mm -hmm. 
So that was an interview with Jude. You can look up more about her stuff on theblackwaddle.com and to keep up to date with the Beirut Booker of Hope project, you can look up azeltea.com or also search for Beirut Booker of Hope online. We also heard a track from Jude with her song History and that's under her artist name of Aria. We're going to be listening to the Refugees on Air podcast produced at CNFM. Hello everyone, you're listening to Refugees on Air. This is our sixth episode with author and refugee from Afghanistan, Asan Daleri. How are you, Asan? I'm good. Thank you very much. That's, That's good. good. We're really glad to have you here. We've yep. kind of taken a bit of a short break from Refugees on Air, but yep. we're back. and We're back and better. Yes. <laughs> You're our sixth refugee that we've had the pleasure to interview. So let's get things started. How would you describe your life back in Kabul in Afghanistan? Oh, thank you for inviting me to the <laughs> studios today. And, That's okay. Uh, you know, it, I know that you're at school and you're taking your time yeah, to yeah. do this. This is really great. Thank you. Uh, well, I, I used to work in an NGO, yep. which is the um, you know, not-for-profit organization, yep. Yep. helping uh, communities in um, 12 provinces of Afghanistan. Yep. And uh, I was one of the main planners of uh, that organization. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you went and you studied in Pakistan and Ireland, isn't that, is that correct? Yeah, in 1992, when uh, the situation became really unsafe, um, and there was war going on uh, in Kabul, so um, a lot of people had to leave Mm -hmm. Afghanistan for obvious reasons, because of safety. So we we went to Pakistan, where I studied, and uh, then in 2003, when the situation became peaceful in Afghanistan, I... Uh, came back uh, mm-hmm. along with my family, of course, and yep. uh, you know later I got a scholarship and I went to Ireland to mm-hmm. do my masters. Right. Nice. And uh, what did you specialize in when your masters? The course was international development, and um, mm-hmm. yep. I had to do a thesis um, to qualify for uh, my masters. Yeah. So I, you know, I specialized in uh, livelihood, mm-hmm. and I chose uh, a topic which was the alternative livelihood. As you know, I chose saffron mm-hmm. as an alternative to opium. That was the thesis mm-hmm. or the theme of my thesis that I was completing. Yep. And wh- why did you decide to write about that specific topic? Well, there were so many options that I could write my thesis on because, you know, the work that I did back home was quite varied and uh, mm-hmm. we had a few focus areas. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, um, as you know, Afghanistan, uh, unfortunately, is one of the prime producers of uh, opium. Mm-hmm. And there are many, many farmers who would like to have, uh, you know, a means that is a means of livelihood that is uh, viable, that is legal, and uh, that is acceptable. Yeah. But there aren't many uh, opportunities for them. So I, I, w- I was thinking about it, and I was reading a lot about that area, and I thought, if I could uh, do a bit of contribution in that space, mm-hmm. uh, that would be really good. And uh, not only I achieve my masters, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but also, you know, uh, along. Uh, side that I would be able to help some farmers mm-hmm. uh, make that move. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Why did you decide to come to Australia to present your thesis? 
I was invited for the Parliament of the World's Religions, mm -hmm. and I was working. I, I was presenting actually on conflict management, and um, mm -hmm. you know the uh, focus of my presentation was conflict resolution from the Islamic perspective, yep. and also the um, cultural aspects of our culture mm -hmm. that uh, involved conflict management and conflict resolution. Mm -hmm. yep. That is uh, that's how I was invited to come and present um, our work actually yep. there in that conference. Yep. So do you want to talk a little bit about why you couldn't go back to Kabul when you were in Australia presenting your work? As, as I mentioned earlier, I think the type of work that I used to do mm -hmm. uh, put me under great risk. Yep. Not only me, there were many, many people working in that space yep. who were risking their lives because um, there were so many people who were not you know, happy about what I was promoting and what mm -hmm. um, I was doing. Yeah. And uh, of course, uh, that put me in a precarious situation. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, also the type of work that I used to do in that organization and the provinces or areas that we used to work with people put me under great uh, risk. Yeah. So these are some of the reasons that I actually could not go back, although I really wanted, but you know, my mm -hmm. family and my friends advised me that I should wait yep. and yep. Uh, that's why I couldn't go back and I waited uh, for a few months and I really wanted to go back mm -hmm. but um, you know you were advised not to yeah and yeah. yeah. um, that was when you were granted asylum in Australia is that correct when you had to stay here yeah, look, I had three months visa. I could yep. stay uh, here. So I stayed uh, for three months and I didn't decide to lodge my application for yep. asylum yep. because I, I was hopeful that I would return. But yep. since that did not happen, I had no option but to mm -hmm. lodge my uh, mm -hmm. application for seeking asylum here in Australia. It must have been heartbreaking to not be able to go back to your home country. Yeah, it was, you know, uh, initially uh, I just thought, okay, sometimes you make a decision mm. um, due to, you know, circumstances. Sometimes you, you're you obliged to uh, make yeah. that decision. So uh, I made that decision. Then all of a sudden I sat back and I realized that, oh, what I have lost, you know, uh, yep. all yep. the network that I had, my mm. job, and here I landed somewhere that I had very little things to know about, and yeah. also yeah. Uh, not many people that I knew, and yeah, yeah. no family, it was extremely hard. Yeah, definitely. Um, how long did you stay um, in Australia for without any family? From 2010 up to 2013, so okay. four years I was away from my family. Okay, and you applied for them to come to Australia, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. And how, how did you feel like that moment that the application was granted and you like, saw them for the first time after four years? Uh, I was able to go back to Pakistan where they, uh, oh, yep. they yep. were there. So I used to visit them each year, mm -hmm. you know, in that four-year yep. period. But when I went for the final time to bring them here, it was mm -hmm. extremely joyous for me. Yep, and that's a right. great yep. moment in my life because I would be reunited yep. with my children. Yes. What difficulties did you face when you were being granted asylum in Australia? When I was uh, uh, applying for my 
you know, asylum and the application was uh, under process. Mm -hmm. uh, situation, uh, when it comes to asylum seeking situation, mm -hmm. it wasn't even close to what is happening at the moment. Mm -hmm. right. It was tough. It was not easy. I had all these worries in mm -hmm. back of my mind that yep. if my application is uh, refused, what mm -hmm. am I going to do? Yep. Yeah. You know, it was a major source of worry. Yep. But uh, since, you know... My case was uh, quite evident. Uh, mm -hmm. Everything um, that I did was, I don't think it was an issue for me to, to prove that I was really under immense risk. Yep. Uh, but it was extremely hard. I went into depression uh, yep. and I, of course, being away from your, your family, family yep. friends and mm. having nothing to do, mm -hmm. uh, having come from a very active and busy life back yep. home to a situation where literally you you don't have anything to do. Yeah. It was extremely hard. Yep. So let's get talking about the work that you decided to do here in Australia. What inspired you to write Raised in Conflict Growing Up in Afghanistan? Look, when I came here and uh, I saw the situation of refugees, but mm -hmm. also I met a lot of people who had very little idea about life of uh, refugees and mm -hmm. asylum seekers yep. and uh, I thought it will be a good idea to record some of the moments of my life yep. and also share it with the uh, you know people yep. that are interested in um, you know in reading Learning about, about yep. in exploring about life of uh, refugees and asylum seekers mm -hmm. but also I wanted to leave a legacy for my children mm -hmm. uh, so that you know when they grow up you know they read and they understand that how their father uh, traveled along the journey of life uh, yeah. but also learn you know whatever they see um, at the moment comes you know the the source is there you know and because uh, I mentioned quite a lot about my childhood yeah. where I grew up yeah. that would hopefully help my children understand and appreciate life back uh, home uh, yeah. in my first home Afghanistan yeah. and it will be a source of learning for them and for other people yes as well. definitely yeah. so how can our listeners buy your book well, actually, I ran out of uh, that, I, uh, and I um, uh, all copies are sold out. I'm thinking of uh, writing the second uh, episode of that book. Uh, yeah. That book really focused on uh, my life in uh, Afghanistan. Yeah. But the second um, episode of that would focus on my life in here. Yes. That's why I'm daily dallying uh, mm -hmm. on not reprinting mm -hmm. the book. Mm -hmm. So I have all the notes and, and so on. It's just a matter of time that I mm -hmm. get it. Together. So that yeah, yeah. put it together. Oh, in, that in would be so good. Yeah, what yeah. are you gonna call the next chapter? It's raised in conflict part two. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Do it. Raised in conflict, um, living in Australia now. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> That's cool. So, what work or volunteer positions have you done so far in Australia? I started actually my uh, career here in Australia as a volunteer. Mm -hmm. uh, because it was extremely hard to get into employment here yep. because everyone was asking about so-called local experience, although I had many, many years of work experience. Mm -hmm. So I started a volunteer work with a few organizations uh, here in Australia. Then I also volunteered with some local community organizations. Yep. I started working uh, as a volunteer with Brotherhood of St. Lawrence, and yep. I also worked 
as a volunteer uh, with uh, Asylum Seekers Resource, Resource Center, Center. Yep. with the Crisis Hub, uh, Humanitarian Crisis Hub. Now mm. they are called uh, Diaspora uh, Action Australia. I worked as a volunteer with the Imam Ali Islamic Center, and we also a group of uh, volunteers uh, mm. visiting and uh, making contacts with asylum seekers yep. in detention centers, and we go and visit them during certain occasions. Mm -hmm. yep. So these are they are still continuing uh, some of my volunteer work, but. Uh, you know, uh, I got kids, and you know, if you have kids, life gets really busy. So yeah. <laughs> I had to cut back on my volunteer work, yep. but I still do a lot of work with um, a group that I mentioned. The the volunteer positions and everything that you've done is that inspired you because of your own experience when you came here? Yeah, uh, look, um, volunteer work that I just mentioned. I went through that situation and that phase of life. I really appreciated people and the volunteers who provided support to me while mm -hmm. I was yep. seeking asylum. Mm -hmm. And I uh, thought, how should I... Pay them back. Yeah, pay them back. But also, how should I be someone that could uh, have that inspiring role and that uh, mm -hmm. supportive role? Yep. And um, I, I thought, why not to get into that space? Yep. Yes. What advice do you have for any refugees settling here and waiting for for their families to arrive? Oh well, I think it's it is life is tough for asylum seekers, yeah. especially at this uh, moment. A couple of things that comes uh, to my mind is I think it's easy to say stay positive, but you know you need to take some steps to stay positive. You know I, I think if you could engage or um, find opportunities to busy yourself. Uh, you yep. know, visiting local libraries, local spaces. There are many, many programs that are going on uh, right. in your local areas. Yep. Uh, you know, local councils provide some really good uh, programs. You could be involved in that. And uh, the other thing is also looking after yourself, um, yep. exercising and uh, making sure you have balanced diet and look after your diet. Do whatever you like. If you're into listening to music, just do that. If you're into sports, do that. Whatever you're passionate about, just follow that. And mm -hmm. um, there are many, many people that love to help. Of yep. course, there are some odd people as well that don't want to you know, engage with um, yep. asylum seekers. Mm -hmm. But there are many, many people out there in the community That's mm -hmm. right. that could help. And what advice do you have for any listeners regarding welcoming refugees and helping them into settling in Australia? I made a lot of friends, actually. I met them first time. I continued. And I think one uh, one program that really helped me find some really good friends, and we are still in contact, and we yep. are like best friends, family mm. friends, they hosted us uh, you know, as part of a program called The Healing Trail. Mm -hmm. So we had a host. You know, I had a host for a couple of nights. Yep. And uh, from there, we just became friends, and they... They had very little idea about life of uh, refugees and asylum seekers. Mm -hmm. yeah. I also learned a lot about life in Australia, but mm -hmm. uh, they also had an opportunity to learn about life of uh, refugees. Okay. Yeah. And um, I think one piece of advice that I can give uh, to people is that, you know, uh, when you see uh, someone that is seeking asylum, you know, sometimes they may be shy. You can go and approach them and ask them questions that, and say that, how can I help? Mm -hmm. It's a simple question, but it, you know, it can change the life of an asylum seeker. That's so true. Do you have any specific plans for the future or anything that you wish to achieve? 
Uh, well, of course, uh, I have... Um, the second book. As I mentioned, I have yep. the second episode of my book. Yeah. I really want down the track to establish a place where, you know, a space where people come, eat, enjoy, and a community space where, you know, it's a meeting space mm -hmm. for communities to connect, yep. to learn from one another, and to share whatever they want to share. Mm -hmm. That community space, that's actually my kind of a dream. Uh, I might, it might be called a community restaurant, it might be called a community space. Yep. Uh, but that is something that I really, down the track, I would really want to yep. have that. Yep. Um, what are you hoping to provide within the space? Just space and opportunity for people Talk to come to and interact yep. and to yeah. learn from one another. And mm -hmm. uh, I'll be just a catalyst, um, yep. a facilitator of that communication uh, and that dialogue um, mm -hmm. between people. And yep. um, of course, as I mentioned, it could be a community restaurant, it could yep. be community space. But my aim is to help communities run different programs from there, but also try to be uh, someone that could contribute and help communities connect with, with one another. Yes, yep. that's perfect. Thank you so, so much, Asan, for coming in today. Uh, we've had the pleasure of hearing your story yep. and you know, getting you to talk about your interesting and adventurous life. Yeah. <laughs> and we wish you the best of luck for your future plans and your second episode of your wonderful book. Thank you so much. Not yeah, a thank you. It was a pleasure talking with you and good luck. You're doing a fantastic job and I think, you know, what I mentioned hopefully provide a bit of window of opportunity for people to learn about life of asylum seekers and refugees that's our main aim also if you open up the community restaurant we'd love to come yes. and help yes. yeah, yeah. let us know i'll let you know <laughs> if you'd like to listen to more refugees on air we've got all our episodes on itunes if you just search up refugees on air also we have our facebook page which is at refugees on air sin our Instagram and Twitter are at Refugees on Air. You can chuck us a follow or a like and you'll be updated with our crazy lives. And <laughs> thanks for listening. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. So we're just listening to the Refugees on Air podcast from SINFM. It's a really awesome podcast. And before we go, just wanted to let people know about a campaign that is on the way called hashtag dial it down Dutton, which you can find on change.org. And this is to ensure that refugees and anyone who is kept in detention centres don't get their phones taken away. Uh, this is done by the National Justice Project, who actually won a case a few years ago about making sure that people did have access to phones. So again, it's just hashtag dial it down Dutton, and they just need about 40,000 more signatures, and they were really successful last time. So this would be great that people could support them, and of course, people who are in detention who need access to phones. And that's it for this week. Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force. 
yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, you know, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution.